0: Okay, today we are here with Robert Oshatka. Uh Bob is from the Topeka, Kansas area, where he spent 30, to 40 years, 30, 30, yes. 35 years. Okay, he came to Rockford about 18 months ago because his son asked him to come up and help him raise uh, two of his grandkids, is that correct? Right. The reason uh, we're talking to Bob today for the Thinker What Works pop- podcast is he is the owner of Emmett Business Solutions. He's spent 30 plus years helping businesses be more profitable. He's a certified trainer in a thing called The Great Game of Business, which espouses open book management. First of all, Bob, thank you for coming in. You're welcome, it's great to be here. And so open book management, what are we talking about there?
1: Well, open book management is really, uh, it's a system, it's a uh, model business, business methodology that uh, came out of Springfield, Missouri, Uh, back in the early 80s, and it is designed to really bridge that gap between, the inevitable gap between management and the employee, and create an environment where you have a business of business people, teaching the business of the business that, that any company is in. So it's really... In, in in open book, it's tra- it's transparency. It's designed to to really educate everyone on the team, uh, from the top owner leader to the uh, the front line worker, the production worker, what what whatever, uh, the entry level worker that just came on board yesterday. Teach them the business and create an environment where every it's a business of business people. Well, let's let's take a step back. It grew out of Springfield, Missouri. Correct. It came out of a specific company, correct? Well, it, yes. Uh, SRC, well, was Springfield Remanufacturing Company, which in the early 80s uh, was uh, a remanufacturing site for International Harvester. And that was a time when International Harvester was going through some, uh, a serious uh, uh, recession area where they were shedding as many as a 1,000 employees a week. Uh, and they did this for for uh, two years. They had over a hundred thousand employees, and it was just not a good thing. Uh, a gentleman named Jack Stack had been sent down. He'd worked for International Harvester in the manufacturing uh, facility in Melrose Park, uh, up, uh, in, just outside Chicago, and he was uh, sent down to kind of run the manufacturing facility in Springfield, Springfield Remanufacturing, where they remanufactured heavy-duty engines uh, for. Tractor trailers, agriculture—you uh, know the, the 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 big equipment. Uh, that facility had been losing money uh, for a period of time. He got everybody kind of organized, moving in the right direction. Uh, got, got team spirit was built up, and they were actually turning a profit. Uh, but lo and behold, International Harvester still came in and said to him, "We're going to close the plant." And it was like, "What?" Uh, you you know, he was responsible for 116 people. He had to look him in the eye and say, they want to close the facility. Well, folklore story goes that uh, someone in the back of the room says, well, why don't we buy this place? And um, we kind of laughed and uh, nobody really thought they knew what they were talking about, but he was able to put together eight gentlemen collectively were able to put together $100,000 in 1983. Wasn't a lot of money, but was a lot of money for the, the eight folks. And then they collectively borrowed $8.9 million to buy the facility. Um, was, I'm making a short story of that because it was a difficult process to, to actually present that to the banking community and to even to this day uh, that is the largest leveraged buyout in you know, U.S. business history, $89 to $1, <laughs> they were able to borrow it. That would never happen today. Today you barely can, you need 60 to 70% equity just to borrow the other 30%. Um, but when he came back from Chicago and they closed the loan and he was on his way back, uh, one of the last things the loan officer told him, or the bank president told him, before he left was, uh, it's kind of like, you hear that sound outside? That's the trucks waiting to uh, bring all the equipment back, repossess everything if you miss one interest payment. How would you like to begin a process with that burden on your shoulder? Uh, 8.9 million, oh, and by the way, if anyone listening remembers what the interest rates were in 1983, they were 18, 19%. Yeah. It was incredible. So you're borrowing money, high, high, a lot of money, at a very high interest rate, and you're carrying that load and you're coming back to a community where uh, you're one of the largest employers and, and you're on, not shaky ground, but you, you got a lot of, a big, big road ahead of you. So he said, if I ever get this, uh, this deal done, um, I should, actually I should step back. Because one of the things he he discovered during the whole process, and here um, was that as as a business, he walked into the the first time he walked into the bank, the first bank he walked into, he said uh, they said to him, well, Jack, this is all wonderful. He presented all the numbers and all the background and the story, and they said this is wonderful. Uh, When are you going to make the first payment, or how are you going to make pay back the money? And he was naive enough to think, well, you just borrow the money, you pay the interest, you get the business going, and it'll all take care of itself. Now, that's not really how it works. So even after the, even though he was a leader in the manufacturing side of International Harvester, and he knew how to rebuild this and run a manufacturing plant, they had never taught him the business of the business, the financial statements, the understanding how things really work. So... The first bank turned him down, obviously, and then he went to another bank and he had to rework the uh, business plan and got turned down again, reworked it again. He discovered after about seven, eight of these reworks that the bank wanted it a certain way. It was all the same and also that it was not a difficult concept. The, the, The business of the numbers and the financial statements was not a difficult concept. It was just simply one he had never been taught because he learned it and he was able to then present that into the bank. 52 banks later, he finally got that loan that I was speaking about earlier. And when he got that, he said, I'm going to make a commitment that if I ever do get this loan, I'm going to teach everyone in my company the business of the business that they're in. And so So the
0: person in a mailroom and shipping or on a machine, they're all taught
1: they are right. they, they are taught, taught they are taught in in essence they're taught the business what is the business that they're in all about so in the case of Springfield remanufacturing there's, today there's over 13 businesses down there but let's focus on the original one where they were actually remanufacturing engines taking engines apart drilling new holes boring out the pistons the, the cylinders and putting pistons in and everything those folks, even today, that person on the front line, he can tell you what his uh, overhead absorption was yesterday on his production, uh, w- what profit margin or contribution margin he made. And he can also tell you what the whole situ- the, the whole facility is, what the sales and revenue were uh, for not only last month, but what it's forecasted for for the next month. They really understand what it takes to uh, make this, the business run there and how they can make a contribution and how they can make that number move. We, it's, why does that help? Why does that help? Mm-hmm. It helps because that everyone is working in the same direction. There is no distrust uh, with respect to um, uh, you know, anything management might be doing or the employees might be doing. Actually, the employees will, will know exactly the status of the state of the business at any given point in time? Is it strong, is it solid? Should I be going, uh, should I be borrowing money for, to buy a house? Should I be having a baby? He, there were people asking Jack that as, as the, the business started to turn around, and he goes, what are you asking me for? Well, because if I don't have a job, then I don't want to do these things. Well, now, those folks can really understand, and they know, that they know the strength and, and, and where the business is at any given point in time, when they are truly practicing, now, so that's a manufacturing shop business. where
0: products coming in, you're working on it. Products going out. Okay. Um, does this system work across industries?
1: It does. In fact, we have we have practitioners uh, in in restaurants. We have practitioners in service companies, advertising agencies, breweries. With with they're not manufacturing engines, but they are manufacturing a product beer. Um, uh, New Belgium Brewery is is a, uh, a, a player of the great game of business. Uh, Southwest Airlines actually utilized the great game of business as it was uh, reorganizing itself back when, when Herb Herb Kelleher was so there. So when I started Southwest principles.
0: Airlines, I'm just a ticket taker, but I'm I'm learning. They're teaching people who are as low as ticket takers.
1: They're, yeah, Well, exactly. They're t- they're they're, t- they're the front line. The baggage handlers. Mm-hmm. The uh, uh, obviously the airline pilots. Uh, the, whole, the whole gamut of what it, it takes to run the airline. And that's, that's a good story there because there you can, if you ever fly Southwest, you can really, and you really sit back and look at how it runs, you can really tell that everyone understands how, how that, that airline has to make money. And what it, why, how do you know that? Just how fast they turn their planes around uh, in and out. There's, they have about a 15 to 20-minute turn and that's what makes that really. It's what makes the money. The uh, the pilots, the stewardesses, they clean the plane. They reset everything. If you watch them as you deplane, they're they're folding the seats. They're getting the seat belts and everything ready. Do they like it? Um, you know, they they maybe. I was talking to one stewardess uh, had a chance to fly next door, and she was uh, commenting that yeah, well, you know, yeah, we have to clean the plane so we can get it get it back in shape. But but in turn, there's a return on that because they know what that tur- that turnaround time and filling that plane and and turn and not, no time on the ground. That's profit for the company, and that profit gets turned back. Some of that profit gets returned to every one of the employees. When you start Those are wor- the principles. when you the start working
0: game. with the company, typically, why do they call you? What's going on typically at these companies that say, you know, we, we want to
1: give open book management a shot? Well, typically what they're going to first off, you're going to have a couple of key components. You're going to have an owner who uh, really values their employees. And what they, and they also recognize, because in most businesses, uh, the labor, the employee portion, the manpower portion is a very big portion of cost there's you know very few businesses where it's not so if that's one of the uh, the key components then you sure want to be sure that you have the right amount of labor on your team and that they are actually working to the benefit of the company every day and if if in doing so and you can teach them the business of the business What we call financial literacy teaching them. There's three. There's three major components uh, of of the great game of business. Um, The, uh, no one teach the rules. So that's the financial statement. No one teach the rules of the business you're in. And I'm not talking about teaching accounting. I'm talking about teaching that really how the numbers work inside every different business. So the, the numbers are going to work differently in a large um, commercial nursery than they do in a, in a paving company, uh, than they do in a, uh, the brewery. They, they work differently. But fundamentally, uh, an income statement, balance sheet, and cash flow statement, the, 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 the fundamental of the, those numbers are exactly the same. But you have to have everyone understanding why do I? Why am I here? Why is this job here? And how do I? And how do I make a contribution? Where am I represented on on an income statement? I was doing a uh, uh, introduction and uh, getting the game uh, started financial literacy at a never. Uh, it was a advertising printing company, and I was going over the, the financial literacy for the first time and. So I had gone over the income statement, uh, revenue and expenses, and and I said, to, now let me ask you something. This is really the was the first time I had done this. Who can tell me where they are on in the income statement? What line are you represented in the income statement? And the one gentleman raised his hand. Well, I'm on the on the expense line on the income statement because I I work in uh, printing and I work to get the product out. Great, and then another guy says, well, I'm over here, I'm a uh, marketing person, so I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be in, the, in the expense, the overhead expense for, uh, for marketing. And then I said, hey, that looked, wow, really good. You picked that up from, and then he, I'm starting to turn around to the next person, he goes, oh, and I'm also on the balance sheet. And I went, how so? Well, you see that line called um, materials? I buy those materials, that's an asset. And he connected the dots, and he said, "Well, that's an asset, and I buy those materials. So therefore, I'm represented in that line. If I don't buy those correctly, that could, you know, I have too much inventory, I have too much cost, too much of our cash is tied up in the, in the wrong asset. Uh, versus, and and if I don't buy correctly, my the cost of producing the product is more expensive." I so, said, "Wow, wow. I mean, that was connected the dots in in a." In a you know, a couple-hour session on, on the financial literacy. So that's what we try to do as we, get, as we get everyone engaged in the game so they get to know and teach the rules. Then they're empowered with that knowledge and enabled to make meaningful change because there is no one, the, cl- the, the person closest to the problem has the solution. Although we like to think we have to go get the solution from management, you know, the person closest to the issue knows what, it, what they're doing and how to solve that problem if you just ask them. And then if you listen, talk about it and, and discuss it. And if they know how it impacts the, the, the business so they can really make that uh, impactful change. So enable and empower them to make change. And then the third component is a provide a stake in the outcome, good or bad. One of the things we, uh, and it's all centered around a critical number, and the critical number is defined by the team every year. And fo- what is the what is the focus going to be? But one of the things about the, uh, you know, talk a little bit about stake in the outcome. What's in it for me, as a, as an employee? We 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 all talk often about the um, bonus programs and and the salaries and or bonus oh yeah i'm entitled to a bonus i should get a a, a bonus for this or, or or for that but you know what and and we get to a point i don't know if we've we've all gotten there where we get to the point where the bonus if i don't know how it's i achieve it and i don't know how it's leading to the benefit of the company that i begin to think it's an i'm entitled to it so whether the company has that has a good year or a bad year where's my bonus if we're not tying it to, to the right things, and we create uh, part of our programs is to create a a bonus program which is built on what we call the over, which another which is under foundationally it's that the company has to be strong, has to achieve its goals, uh, before any bonus dollars can get put into into the bonus pool, that leads to. The, the whole idea of there's a certain threshold that, uh, that has to be achieved to keep the company strong. But I don't know about you, but I haven't found any coworker that likes to get a, a, a bonus check on December 31st and a pink slip on January 5th because the company didn't take care of its money, but they gave me my bonus, but now I'm out of a job. Mm-hmm. Most people would rather have a job on a solid company and know how they can move that company forward uh, and if that leads to a bonus, that's fantastic. So those are the three components. Uh, no one teach the rules. Um, then you're engaged and empowered to make meaningful change. And then there's a stake in the outcome, good or bad. And it really leads to s- much stronger uh, employee engagement in- inside the company. And what is, what are the hurdles
0: that you have with companies when you're, you're trying to teach this?
1: When we begin, well, uh, depending upon the um, uh, background of the company and maybe there's a high level of distrust or they've, you know, not necessarily had as been as transparent uh, previously. So we've got to the the ownership and leadership has to make we, we first start off with the why. Why are we even going there? And that has to come from the owner owner and and leader, that the reason they're usually, the reason they go to look at the great game of business is so that it, um, because they're looking for more employee engagement, and they do value those employees, and they would like to get everyone, get the strength in the company and moving it forward so that's, you know, it it, it is the interest of improving the lives of the people, improving the, the results of the business and the lives of the people who drive those results. So that's one of the reasons uh, they get into it. So if if, the re- if that reason is solid and sound, and the why is good, then what we might see is is a resistance, a little bit of resistance to, um, you know, is this another flavor of the month? Is this the next uh, management technique, or you know, that we're going to try? We tried that one, other one last week, or this week, or this month. Uh, so what is this really? Got long-lasting. Does it have? Uh, does it have legs and uh, and good staying power? Um, so there's a level of distrust until we can get over. In essence, get get over that hurdle that this is the way this the company is going to be run in the future. And um, there there uh, it's not necessarily a hurdle because people are actually more interested in taking on that responsibility. Uh, but with responsibility is accountability and you know if I haven't been held accountable and now I'm going to be there can be uh, a learning curve associated with that.
0: How big of a company do you have to have to uh, benefit from these kind of practices
1: well i think I think the the I think any company can benefit from these practice the, the practices because what happens is uh, everyone who does implement the game um, we've we've over time. now this is not a new theory. This isn't something that's happened you know and been created over the last three months or six months or six years. This is over thirty three years and it's been uh, practiced and honed by all of the SRC companies which. Today, as I mentioned, are, there's over 13 uh, continuing companies in the Springfield area, and they have grown from, a, uh, well, I think it was $16 million when uh, in 1983 when the first one converted to well over $450 million in, in value today. Uh, and that's after um, buying and selling of over 60 different companies that moved through the business over the last... Uh, uh, 35 years um, stock price alone went from and, and by the way SRC is an ESOP they are an ESOP and they're 100% ESOP the last portion was just uh, they've been an ESOP from the beginning but they are now completely owned by the ESOP and that happened in uh, two, 2015 I think it was so most recently it's, it hasn't been that long since it was completely converted or, um, completely bought but since that time the you know initially the stock price was 10 cents and now it's over uh, what 400 or $4, $454 or something if you had put $1000 in SRC theoretical in 1983 it would be worth over 4.5 million dollars today so mm-hmm. it's it's the proof is that it has held helped build strong companies and also wealth for the people who are who are running those companies and, and owning those companies, so what size? It can go down to it could it could actually benefit right from the startup stage, uh, and there are tools that we have on the GreatGame.com website that help companies implement it. Um, but where it really s- strikes and has greater benefit, we we deal as coaches. We deal with companies that are all somewhere in the thirty to Thirty-plus employees and maybe the five million dollar, four to five million dollar size and then up. Um, so depending upon, um, because we're co- those kinds of companies are usually large enough to n- need coaching in that in helping to coach their design team and and get the game fully embedded, um, where the others just don't have the manpower to, you know, to necessarily break out so they'll. To need separate coaching, so they'll they'll get the uh, a lot of the material and information right on online and try to implement or implement themselves, one on one.
0: The largest company that you work with in Rockford is a company called Practice Velocity, which they make um, software that allows uh, medical clinics to share records back and forth. Correct. And what changes have they implemented? Uh, or improvements have you seen in your time working with them?
1: Well, I, I actually picked that client up just to, just since I moved here as far as active. They were they were uh, playing the game before that. And um, so I'm not privy to exactly where the, the beginning portion, but I do know that uh, Dr. David Stern wanted to just really get his team in very involved in the business. Uh, An understanding of, of of how it runs and taking care of the customers, and um, you know, f- focusing on the metrics that will move the business forward, and that the um, the business has grown immensely. And I think it's you know in excess of fifty five million dollars now is a is a very strong success story uh, right here. But to watch their um, I get involved in what the weekly huddles, which is the time when they the, the transparency and they, they do go over the numbers and to, to watch the involvement of the people, uh, the team bringing those numbers forward. And um, they're, I've been doing that now for about 18, 15, 18 months, and just watching their knowledge of where that number has actually come from. And kind of initially they're reporting a number, and they're not necessarily fully grasping of how where it came from what its roots are where what all goes into making that number but then as we watch the team evolve over time and they they know how to move the business forward and and it's a it's a continuing process there's no there's no aha there's no day when okay we got it now No, you you get it but you're always looking to improve, you're always looking at maybe, um, you know, some of your metrics might change slightly. So what's moving the number now? Is anything different than, than, uh, than uh, you know, how, how do I either move more sales or, or they do collections. They do They provide a lot of services for their clients. So how do I get that? How do I help that client? How do I get that done? Um, so they're constantly talking to each other. If you, you get a chance, there's scoreboards all over, you know, all over the walls, giving them the details and the information of, of what's going on, and it's in real time. It, you know, we always see, say when, um, you know, when it, kind of when uh, we get our numbers for last month, okay, what am I gonna do about them? I can't change history. But when I get it, and I know, get and understand the numbers today, I can change what's, I can forecast much better what's going what could happen tomorrow, next week, the rest of the end of the month, the next quarter. Um, you, you have the knowledge then to understand where the business is going and how i i as an individual me as my department how we can all impact that and move that number move the revenue line move the receivable line whatever line it is you're trying to move and what direction you want to move it and you have the ability to do that if you understand what makes up that number
0: so if somebody's listening to this and and this uh sounds interesting to them that perhaps they want to implement it at their business uh, how do they get in touch with you or how do they get started?
1: Well, they can, they can get in touch with me. Um, I'm right here in Rockford. At, uh, my my cell phone number is 785 221 But perhaps the best thing to do to begin is actually visit the, the website of greatgame.com. Uh, the, the reason is there's it's a lot... It's not like
0: a LeBron James thing, huh? It's
1: a greatgame.com.
0: You guys bought that? Greatgame.com, yeah. We got it <laughs> I would he, think it'd be like a football he game or something. Yeah.
1: Greatgame.com, and that gives uh, the foundation of where where the whole game came from. Then then there can be choices, because a typical approach to how we get involved, because even if you were to get get me on the phone, I would walk you through some of this, but I would encourage you to um, get involved with that website, Get, get, in, get down to a workshop or when the regional workshops happen and we're starting to do more and more regional workshops, um, get involved with those, which gives you the experience of the game and you get to see it live in action and you get to see a huddle. If you're going to Springfield, you're going to see a, a, the huddle and the, and the all-team huddle. These are all-team. All the employees come together uh, weekly and you know, for anywhere from a half hour to an hour, depending upon what, what the business is at that time, but, and they go over the numbers and they talk about it and they do these forecasts. So even when we go on the regional uh, basis, we like to go to where, where we have a practitioner uh, um, close and actually practicing so we can, we can put the workshop on and then those folks who are attending can actually see the huddle uh, in action. In Chicago, we have them regularly at um, twice a year at Tasty catering, which has been one of uh, our longtime players of the great great game of business, and they get to see their their huddle uh, great hosts over there. Uh, and understand and get to see the game in action. We're talking about possibly bringing one here, but that's still on the drawing board. We'll see how that, how that can work out. So, great game of business, or greatgame.com. You can get involved with, with the book as well. I can get, uh, get in touch with me and I can get you an audio book if you're, a, if you're a, like to listen on, on, in the car. Uh, and get an idea of what's going on and really get a, a real clear picture of where this all came from and all, all the benefits that it can lead to uh, to within your company. So. All
0: right, Bob, thank you very much for coming in today and talking about open book management.
1: All right, great. Thank you.